Our legal ID is WMNF Tampa, and this is True Talk on WMNF with Ahmed and Summer. On today's program, we're going to be speaking about COP27, not the COPs, but the, I guess it stands for the Conference of the Parties. It's the International Conference on Climate Change. It's happening in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. Um, we'll be speaking about why climate is not the only issue on the agenda there especially that it's happening in Egypt. Um, and um, so later on in the program, we'll be speaking about that. For now, we're going to have a short uh, music break, and we'll be right back with that program. This is True Talk on WMNF. <laughs> Oh, 
في حتة بعيدة عزمني على نكتة جديدة وخلي حساب الضحك عليا فاضي شوية ده أنا وحشاني القعدة معاك وإن ما قدرتش Welcome to True Talk on WMNF 88.5. Welcome back. That's uh, Hamza Namira, Fadi Shwaya. I guess like that, that translates to what summer? Uh, I have some time. Um, I have some time off. I can go and drink coffee. Oh, um, Fadi Shwaya. Um, Fadi. Like uh, it's not. I'm bored. I'm just. Oh, I got some yeah time. I can't even know how to translate that, but. Samar, um, we are in the middle of a tropical storm here in Florida. I mean, your area got devastated before. Are you, were you concerned about this new hurricane that came, is coming through crossing Florida right now? But it's last time it crossed from the Gulf to the Atlantic. This time it's coming from the Atlantic towards the Gulf. But I think it's missing your area or are you getting some storms there? No, we got some wind and some rain, but. Uh, I have a major leak uh, in my roof, so finally I got uh, some nice three guys to come yesterday at 5 p.m. and put a tarp <laughs> the whole night, Ahmed, because we only had like five or six sandbags. That, and then they took some of the tiles that already are broken and put them hoping that they will keep the tarp. So the whole night I hear things uh, falling. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm sure it give you some uh, flashbacks to what you went through last time. Just, I guess it's been a month or so. Yeah, it's been a so, month. So, Hurricane uh, Ian. Just train. This is the first time in 37 years that a hurricane makes landfall in November, especially this late. I mean, the weather is cold outside and you have like hurricane and tropical storms anyway. Going from tropical storms all the way to Egypt in the resort town of Sharm el-Sheikh, they're holding the COP27 uh, conference. And with us uh, live from Doha, Qatar, is Professor Mohammed al-Masri to speak to us about that. Welcome to True Talk, Mohammed al-Masri. Thanks for having me. Um, so you wrote an article about... Um, uh, COP27, uh, why did you write it and why should we be concerned that this conference is being held there? Well, Egypt was kind of an interesting choice from the beginning uh, to hold a climate change uh, conference. Egypt is not known to be sort of on the cutting edge of, of, of you know, climate change, uh, progressiveness or reform. Um, that's number one. Number two, Egypt has a really awful human rights record, uh, one of the worst in the world. So um, a lot of people are offended. A lot of activists are offended that the entire international community effectively is signing off on giving uh, President Assisi uh, the spotlight for for about a week and a half. Um, so those are those are some of the you know. I guess the controversy surrounding the the conference, but I wrote my article actually because I've been following the Egyptian uh, news discourse pretty uh, intensely over the past few weeks, and I, I was really fascinated by the fact that uh, Sisi gave two very long speeches, one about an hour long and the other one two hours long, and then followed both of them up with 
um, a call in to a news talk show. He actually called in live to a, a news a news program and spoke to the presenter for an additional eighty minutes. This this was all in the span of about forty eight hours, and I was just fascinated that a, that a head of state would uh, want to address the entire nation for that long, for more than four hours. And I was more fascinated by what he was saying. It was very clear that he's that he's quite scared about uh, the calls for protest, which I know you've mentioned. Um, there are calls for protests nationwide tomorrow, Friday, November 11th. Uh, and it's obvious that he's been uh, sort of shaken by by all of that. And, and that's really what I what I wrote about. Sorry about that. My mic was muted. Um, why is he shaken up or concerned about these mass protests scheduled for tomorrow? Well, that's a that's a good that's a good question. So, I mean, um, first, I, I hope you know that at least some of the the listeners know that protests are officially illegal uh, in in Egypt. There's an anti-protest law, and this regime has cracked down brutally against protesters in the past, uh, most notably in 2013, when they carried out the largest massacre of protests, probably in modern world history, where they, they killed upwards of, you know, between 1,000 and 2,000 people in a, in a, in a single day. Um, so that's kind, of, that's kind of the backstory. So it's really interesting, to say the least, that Egyptians are seemingly willing to take a very big risk tomorrow by by hitting the streets against a, a very authoritarian uh, regime, and 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 he's clearly shaken. I mean, he actually said on the on the the Colin show, he said, "I am scared." Um, he he actually said it twice. I am scared. This path scares me. He warned people about the previous uprising, the previous protest movement. He said. You left the country until it was burned down and destroyed. He said, isn't it enough what happened to the country? He was, he was very emotional. He was uh, raising his voice. He was sort of scolding the people. He couldn't believe that people were prepared to, to hit the streets. He suggested that people were, were ungrateful, uh, that they didn't understand what, what he's been doing. They didn't understand what he's been going through as, as the president of the, of the country. He said, you do not understand what what nation means. Um, I, you know, it's fascinating because I, I sat and listened to the entire four hours and I, I, I transcribed as much of it as I could. I translated it. And uh, really, I've just, I've never heard that kind of discourse from, from a head of state. It was really astounding. This, just to take us back a little bit for listeners that don't know, I mean, this head of state came on the back of some sort of mass mobilization uh, and protest later, um, you know, it came out that that was not really organic, but uh, he came to power by overthrowing a government. Uh, how did CC come to power? Well, CC, um, Nobody really heard, had heard of, of Abdel Fattah Sisi up until about 2012. He was um, selected by uh, the former president, Mohamed Morsi, uh, to be Egypt's defense minister uh, way back in 2012, right? Um, and Mohamed Morsi, of course, is the, the only 
democratically elected president in the history of Egypt. And um, the Egyptian military only allowed him to uh, serve one year out of his four-year term. Um, a year into his term, uh, Assisi, the then defense minister, carried out a military coup uh, against Morsi. He put Morsi in jail. Morsi would, would ultimately uh, die uh, in prison. Uh, and Sisi just effectively made himself uh, president. I mean, he, he did uh, put together an election. There was there was a there was an election held, but it was a sham election. Um, there have now been two elections. He's been um, you know eliminating political parties and rivals, arresting political opponents. You know, people that put their name into the hat for the presidency um, were were arrested. Um, one person was exiled. So I mean, it's it's an authoritarian state in 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 every sense of the uh, of the word, and uh, and so that that's how Sisi uh, came to power on, on the backs on the back of a, a military military coup. What was uh, how, how um, has the regional countries or regional actors act, uh, responded or are responding to this COP twenty seven conference? Uh, before there was a strong alliance between or the Sisi regime is being backed by Gulf countries, for example, Saudi Arabia and the UAE mainly, and being funded. Um, how are they reacting to the current situation and these calls for mass protests? And uh, how is the international community responding? Well, the, the international community is responding to a Sisi in much the same way that they've responded for the past nine years, um, criticizing the human rights record, you know, uh, criticizing the fact that there are American and, and British citizens uh, locked up in in Egyptian uh, jails, uh, political prisoners, uh, but at the same time, really just issuing proverbial uh, slaps on the wrist. Uh, really, there's no action against Egypt uh, as evidenced by the fact that there they are. The world leaders are all there in Sharm el-Sheikh. They've effectively signed off on this. Um, obviously, we know as Americans, our, our government uh, continues to to fund uh, uh, Egypt, the, in particular the Egyptian military, to the tune of about a, a billion, um, $1.3 billion annually. Um, so the international community has just Kind of turned a blind eye to to much of this. I mean, there have there have been criticisms, but really no action taken against uh, Assisi. Assisi has been supported by uh, the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia, the most uh, repressive regimes in the region and two of the most repressive in the world. Um, you know, for the better part of nine years, they've they've funded uh, Egypt to the tune of something like sixty billion dollars. Um, I mean, I'd have to go back and look at the. The, the most current count, but it's, it's we're talking about tens of billions of dollars um, because they feared uh, a democratic uh, Egypt. They feared uh, the Arab Spring. Uh, they were scared that um, democratic protest movements would reach their shores um, and ultimately demand change in their countries. And so uh, they've supported um, all of the efforts uh, at counter-revolution um, and they've been they've been pretty successful. I mean, pretty much most of the gains from the Arab Spring have have now been rolled back. Um, there is, you know, there has been a, a bit of a falling out 
uh, more recently between Egypt and its uh, supporters in the Gulf, uh, you know, uh, Saudi Arabia and, and the United, United Arab Emirates. Not really a falling out, but they're just not, um, they've indicated that they're not as willing to uh, spend the kind of money that they, they've been spending um, in Egypt. Um, and uh, that, that is a major cause for concern uh, for a Sisi um, who has really, you know, been kind of uh, uh, subservient to both of those uh, governments for, for the last uh, nine years. Uh, Professor Mohammed, uh, I have to jump in and uh, ask you and to our listener, this, listeners, this is True Talk on WMNF 88.5 FM. My co-host Ahmed and I are talking to Mohammed Al-Masri, who is Associate Professor of Media Studies in the Doha Institute uh, for Graduate Studies. Uh, professor, if he has all this power, uh, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned the support and the backing of the international community as uh, as well as uh, some Gulf regions and most uh, heads of states of the Arab world. He is in control of the media. You said he just called for 80 minutes and he was just like a professor talk or a father talking to his young children. Uh, he was admonishing actually the uh, presenter whenever he wanted to ask him a question. He has the backing of the police, the military. Why is he so afraid? I mean, is there anything going on behind the scenes in Egypt uh, with, for instance, other uh, factions in the military or the police? Because he is in control of everything. Why would he be that scared? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I, I think, you know, he is in control. I mean, certainly uh, the Egyptian military has uh, more power today than than they've ever had. And that's really saying something because the Egyptian military has been dominant in Egyptian society, including in the economy, right? For people that don't know, the Egyptian military is the biggest economic force in Egypt. They own companies that manufacture uh, furniture, that do roadways and infrastructure. Uh, they, they run hotels and gas stations. Uh, they even uh, manufacture bottled water. Um, so they are in dozens and dozens of, of businesses. Um, he obviously controls the media apparatus completely. That was one of the first things that he set out uh, to do. He controls the ju the judiciary, so uh, and really all of the state institutions. So, so your question is a good one. Why why would he be so worried? Well, the first reason is um, there is to some extent a split within the Egyptian security apparatus. We've known this for years. We we knew it as soon as. Uh, Sami Anan, who is a longtime uh, high-ranking military officer, decided that he was going to run for president way back in um, in 2018, right? Um, and 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 CC quickly moved to 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 squash him. The same thing is true for Ahmed Shafiq, who's also um, well connected and and a former presidential candidate and was high-ranking in the Mubarak government. Um, so. The fact that people were willing from from within the security apparatus to 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 challenge Sisi and the fact that he moved so quickly against them was an indication that there was uh, to some extent a split. More recently, we've seen uh, Gamal Mubarak, uh, 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 the former dictator Hosni Mubarak's son, um, uh, challenging a Sisi in in public discourse and also making some public appearances. Um, we've also seen. 
resignations. Uh, African Intelligence, which is a credible um, uh, uh, intelligence outlet, they reported that uh, six uh, high-ranking uh, officers in the uh, general intelligence unit resigned. Uh, they, they put in a mass resignation. Uh, this is about 10 days ago. So CC is worried in a nutshell without going, I don't want to go on too long, but he's basically worried that the same thing that happened to his predecessors could happen to him. I mean, if it was possible for Hosni Mubarak to, re to be removed from, from office almost overnight, right? A man who was from within the military, who had fought in multiple uh, wars and who had been the president for 30 years. If, if, if it was possible for the military to intervene and remove Mubarak, then it's certainly possible for them to intervene to remove Assisi, who is really has a failing ledger at this point, really on all fronts, politically, diplomatically, and especially economically. The Egyptian economy is in absolute shambles right now. I want to ask you about uh, tomorrow, the 11-11 um, uh, protests uh, the, and the calls for it. Uh, some people think it is genuine and organic, and some people think it might be really put up by the military or some f f faction in the military. Do you think it's an organic, genuine call uh, for protests uh, in Egypt tomorrow? I think the no. I think the calls are genuine. The calls actually, you know, right now there are basically two Egypts, right? There's the Egypt of of Assisi, and then there are all the voices that are opposed to Sisi. Some of which are inside Egypt and really can't speak, but then many who are situated abroad, right? There are tens of thousands of Egyptians who have been exiled. They've established effectively, you know, a separate. Uh, colony uh, abroad of, of Egyptians, right? They have their own uh, sort of uh, political uh, machinations and they have their own media outlets and so on and so forth. So the calls originated there. But I think what you'll see is that people inside Egypt who, who feel as though they might be able to take advantage or who might um, also be opposed to Sisi, they will, um, you know, sort of wait to see how things play out on the ground and if things look like they're gaining momentum then they'll then they'll certainly jump in and 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 no one should be surprised that if the protest movement takes off and um develops serious momentum toward change no one should be surprised if the military uh swoops in uh in the same way that they did in in 2011 and 2013 uh, finally, Professor Muhammad, he complained about, uh, like you mentioned, like the uh, uh, the Arab Spring cost Egypt $477 billion. He's talking always about the economy, how difficult it is. People are having too many children and too many babies and they eat a lot and they spend so much money on food. Was it a good idea to have uh, the uh, COP27 in Egypt? Uh, or was he looking for uh, um, like international financial support? I mean, what's the idea of having to spend all this money if he is complaining that Egyptians are eating too much food? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot to say there, right? There's a lot to unpack. So on the one hand, you're, you're absolutely right. He's He hasn't taken responsibility for the economic failures. Um, he's actually been, as you pointed out, been blaming Egyptians for, you know, eating too much, for... Uh, for having too many children, for not being willing to sacrifice, uh, which for him, if you dig deeply into his his discourse, it just means 
you know, live a life of poverty and, and be patient about it and be willing to patiently endure it. He's reminding people, you know, that the Prophet Muhammad and his companions were very poor and that they were eating, uh, you know, tree leaves, right? He's, this is what he's reminding Egyptians. So he's basically saying, stop complaining. Um, so that's, that's really important uh, to note, but it's also important to note that he's kind of acknowledging a failure, which is a far cry from, you know, even a couple of years ago when he was saying, you know, just wait, we have all these things in the pipeline and it's all going to come to fruition and you'll see what our economy looks like tomorrow. He would say, just give me six months. He said that repeatedly. He said, just give me one year. Now he's saying we've, you know, things haven't worked out. He's not blaming himself. He's blaming, uh, you know, the protest movements. He's blaming COVID. He's blaming Ukraine. He's blaming Egyptians. He's blaming the opposition. He's blaming media. He's blaming everyone but but himself. Um, and the last thing I'll say, and I don't want to uh, spend too much time on this, but the last thing I'll say is that Egypt has a government spending problem. Um, Sisi has uh, rejected the idea of doing, um, you know, feasibility studies, and he's gone very emotionally uh, head first into very expensive projects that should not be a priority. This kind of conference should not be a priority for a country that is uh, in acute poverty. 60 uh, million Egyptians live on less than $4 per day. So really, Egypt has no business spending this kind of money on a conference. And they had no business spending $65 billion on a new administrative capital with the largest mosque in Africa and the largest church in Africa and the highest tower in Africa. Um, and I could go on and on and on on government projects that have failed. Um, he has invested almost nothing in education and healthcare, which are the two things that Egyptians are most in need of. And he, and, and, and he hasn't done anything to generate income uh, in terms of investment or uh, exports. And can the conference offer Egypt any relief, any new ideas uh, when it comes to food security uh, and climate change and all that, or it's just a cosmetic uh, kind of uh, conference? In my opinion, it's cosmetic. And, and right now it's a disaster for CC because all of the attention now um, has been on the, the human rights uh, situation and especially Ali Abdel Fattah, who's a British Egyptian citizen uh, on a hunger strike and now on a water strike. And uh, medical practitioners have warned that he could die um, any day or any hour. And that would be a disaster, obviously, on a human rights uh, or just on a human level, but it would also be a political or public relations disaster for for Assisi. So all of the attention, really, or much of it, has been on on that and on Ali uh, Abdel Fattah's family, who's now in Sharm el Sheikh, calling for, for you know press conferences uh, and so on and so forth. Our listeners might not know uh, who is Ali Abdel Fattah, uh, Professor. Could you? Just very briefly mention what is that because so many, uh, I know on Twitter there is free, free Ala, free them all. Very briefly, uh, who is Ala and the rest of them? Because I think the Congress uh, or um, a number of uh, senators and representatives wrote uh, by a letter um, alluding to the fact that there are so many prisoners. Biden is going to Egypt to Sharm el-Sheikh for six hours. I'm not sure why only six hours. And in the letter, they also mention uh, other people, not only Ala uh, Abdel Fattah, but also a presidential uh, candidate, uh, Abu al-Futuh. 
Right. So uh, Ana Abdel Fattah briefly is is a, a political activist. He's a liberal uh, activist that participated in in the 2011 uh, revolution. Um, he also participated in, in in 2013, but that that's another um, maybe another story for another day. Uh, but he he was uh, you know he quickly sort of turned on on uh, the CC uh, regime and uh, was was uh, very critical. And he was ultimately imprisoned uh, for about five years, I believe. And then he was released. And then they they arrested him again. Um, they had also arrested his sister. Uh, at one point, um, she was locked up, I think, for around a year. Um, so he's one of, in short, he's one of the uh, 60,000 political prisoners uh, in Egypt. And that's one of the things that Sisi has been has been doing. He's been rounding people up, arresting them en masse, and, um, and building new prisons. Egypt has quite an impressive uh, prison industrial complex now. If you're just joining us, this is True Talk on WMNF 88.5 FM. I'm talking to Professor Mohammed Al Masri. He is Associate Professor of Media Studies at the Doha Institute uh, for uh, Graduate uh, Studies. And uh, Professor uh, Mohammed, do you think they will uh, release uh, Ala because he is on a hunger strike and uh, he's a British citizen now? And I think think the British Prime Minister said he's going to raise the issue and there are, the sister was, uh, the sister is still in Sharm el-Sheikh, had a very important press conference that was interrupted and it, the interruption itself became uh, worldwide the news. Um, do you think they will try and find a way out and let him uh, out, he and a number of uh, prisoners and avoid this international scandal, especially if he dies in prison? I, I do think uh, there's a chance uh, simply because, well, first of all, he has British citizenship. We we know that if you're only Egyptian, if you only have Egyptian citizenship, you, you really have very few rights in the Egyptian system and uh, you're trampled on. And that's why they don't they don't release Egyptians generally. Right. Um, but if you have a foreign citizenship, particularly a Western citizenship, citizenship, if you're Australian or American or Canadian or British or something like that, then you have a chance. And the Egyptian regime has a history of uh, bowing to, to pressure after some time and letting those people out of jail after, after lobbying from those governments, from the Canadian government, the American government, the British government, the Australian government and others. Um, so there is a chance. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, it, it really does make the, the, the regime, you know, look, look stupid. I mean, for lack of a better term, like if you're just going to let people out because there's some political pressure, why do you have them in jail, especially when you're accusing them in many cases of being terrorists or terrorist sympathizers as, as it were? So, um, it's a, it's a, it's an issue of credibility, I think, for the, for the regime. And, you know, Samah Shukri, the foreign minister did, um, did a media interview the other day with CNBC. And it was, in my opinion, it was very appalling when, when, when the interviewer, uh, asked about Ali Abdel Fateh and, and the prospect of him dying due to his hunger and water strike. Samah Shukri said, well, that's his choice. He said it's, it's his choice to do, to do a hunger strike, um, or, um, or a, uh, or a water strike. And then he said that he's confident that the prison authorities would not allow him to die. She followed up by saying, are you suggesting that they're going to force feed him? He says, she's, you know, she said that's also against human rights. And he didn't have a very good response for that question. So 
it's, you know, I, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what's going to happen with Ala Abdel Fattah. I hope he's released. Um, and I hope that pressure is applied so that other uh, prisoners will be released as well. If you don't mind, uh, Professor, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, the conference itself. There are, of course, so many participants and there are so many people who are very excited about it. But then there are voices and uh, from uh, Jordan in particular, I was hoping to have uh, uh, engineer Razan Zaitel joined the conversation, but I think we're having some difficulty connecting her to the show. But she was saying that these conferences usually uh, kind of help the very countries that are causing uh, problems with uh, the climate change, uh, saying, you know, all, all the recommendations can be unfair uh, to the countries in the South and to the Arab world, and it can affect their uh, food security. Do you have any any comment on such uh, views? Not really. Um, I, I think I'll leave that to the experts. I'm not. I'm not a climate uh, expert. I I do know that you know the global South is disproportionately affected, um, and that's one of the reasons why they want you know this conference to occasionally be held in the global South. Um, uh, and I've I've read the critiques that you know it, it it doesn't produce the kind of you know results that that climate activists want. Um, but what has what has struck me, um, as I already mentioned, is is the fact that the international community would seemingly turn to turn a blind eye to the human rights abuses. To me, it's kind of a farce and a, a joke that uh, a conference of this magnitude and stature would be held um, in a place where um, activists are rounded up, um, uh, tortured in jail, uh, held without without charge, and then and and massacred in the streets. Uh, it's it's really uh, it's really appalling. I want to thank you, Mohammed Al Masri, for uh, being on uh, True Talk. We were talking to Professor Mohammed Al Masri, he's associate professor of media studies at Doha Institute for Graduate Studies. And Professor, you might know the song we are playing now. Yeah, I do. Okay. Until we meet again, meet again, yeah. Lord winning. Until we meet again, meet again, Lord winning. Until we meet again, meet again, Lord winning. Until we meet again, meet again, Lord winning. Sometimes you chase places, sometimes places gracing you, sometimes you leave in places, sometimes they're leaving you. I still believed in you, despite all my worst fears. Should I still believe in you after seven years of nightmares? What if I came on back? 
What if I came on through? What if I just showed on up? What would you then go and do? The souls of tortured prisoners speaking through your prison walls. Events of recent history make folks forget what the vision was. I don't love you when you're desperate. You took so much out of me. I'm focused on that desperate. I promise only God is stopping me. Now I speak for those you failed, those you killed, those you jailed. The heroes that you tortured disappeared in a sense of sailed. Put four fingers in the air for the martyrs in that city square. It's only right and fair that we should save a prayer for Our relationship is complex. We know there's something wrong. I'm still into you, but we both know this ain't a love song. Until we meet again, meet again. Yeah. Lord win it. Until we meet again, meet again. Yeah. Lord win it. Until we meet again. Welcome back to True Talk on uh, WMNF. Lord Until we meet again. Um, the song is called Egypt Until We Meet Again by actually our uh, previous guest, Muhammad Al-Masri. He's a professor, but he's also a, uh, a uh, an artist, a rap artist. Uh, interesting uh, combination, Summer. Yes, it's amazing to have all this uh, talent. I've always wanted to have a beautiful voice and sing Ahmed, <laughs> but I can't carry so, a tune actually. Until we meet again, it's a nice has a nice beat to it. His um, his um, I guess screen name or his artist name is Bullet Point, and the song is Until We Meet Again. Um, it's a fascinating place. I, I don't know. It just seems like. Uh, if uh, President Sisi is on his way out, <laughs> uh, like it was discussed, then um, it's because the military has, you know, given up on him or expired. You know, his time has expired, and now they'll bring somebody else, and they'll always just blame the problems in the past on that person, and then they'll continue to uh, be in charge. So um, we'll keep an eye on uh, eye on that. There are. Um, dozens of uh, U.S. officials in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, for this conference. In fact, many senators and congressmen actually drafted a letter to President Biden to address, because Biden is also going to the conference to um, push for the release of these prisoners um, and for to hold uh, the government there accountable for their human rights records. Uh, but somewhere I want to talk to you about the election that just took place on Tuesday. Were you surprised by the results? That uh, the Republicans were so confident, some of them, and that there is going to be a red wave um, because, and you know, it's interesting because this this idea, the spreading this idea that there is going to be a red wave mm-hmm. was also touted by the media, touted by experts, and then they come and say, uh, you know, I am always on Twitter, and they say, oh, this Pew Research and this uh, uh, ABC report, and it's going to be really a, a red wave. So obviously, there is there is there are so many things that happen on the ground uh, that the media might not be catching up on. So well, it's the red wave, yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, for instance, like Pennsylvania, Mm. Uh, the result of Pennsylvania. This is uh, like a, this is huge, and right. they were so confident. And I just read like, like at least fourteen people of the ones handpicked by Trump lost. Yeah, and uh, so many people are telling him, "Don't do the November fifteen announcement. Wait." Yeah, because it'll impact the Georgia race. Um, so I mean, it seems like the red wave was true in Florida, 
I mean, Republicans yeah. took the whole state, uh, state uh, in so many races, uh, whether it's, you know, in every level, even here, like in Hillsborough County, uh, the county commission, three, there were four county commissioner seats up for a grab, three of them held by um, uh, Democrats. And only one of those Democrats won and barely by, I think, 200 votes in a district where he would always win by a lot. But the other two Democrats lost. These are incumbents. So these are incumbents that were already in office and they're faced uh, challenges from people who uh, were not in that position before. And, uh, you know, they unseated two Democratic commissioners. And this is in a county where Obama had won before. Um, and so things are shifting. A lot of people are, you know, are pointing the finger at the Democratic Party in Florida is uh, pretty, is weak and disorganized. Um, even though there are more registered Democrats in Hillsborough County, um, the county where this station broadcasts from, um, more Republicans actually voted uh, in the election. So Demo- many Democrats stayed home, uh, you know, I guess for the time, people will analyze that to see why that is. Is it because there is no one exciting enough to get them out? Uh, they didn't have, you know, the people that were running were not speaking to the base or were not talking about issues that are important to them or affecting them. But definitely the Republican side uh, won. Even the seat that Charlie Crist uh, vacated to run for governor has now been filled by a newcomer who basically got into politics in 2019 or 2018. I think 2019, moved to St. Petersburg in 2019, registered and tried to run against Charlie Crist in 2020 and lost, but this time because Charlie Crist uh, vacated this the seat, so there was no incumbent, she won. And this person, um, her name is um, Anna Paulina Luna. There's so all this contrary. If you read articles about this individual, that this person um, changed her name. She actually had a German sounding name. She has a white background, but she's claiming to be a Mexican heritage. Uh, I'm not sure how true that is, but apparently she changed her name in 2018 or 2019, right before she ran for office to the Spanish last name and then ran with that name. Anyway, she was endorsed by Trump and DeSantis and won um uh, there's a lot of controversy uh, surrounding uh, that person, but it sounds like she's going to be a, one of those, like Marjorie, you know, the other congresswoman that's um, in Congress. Lauren, uh, yeah, I know. Marjorie Green, or uh, her name is escaping me right now. But Some people are, are thinking that she might be a running mate uh, for Trump if he runs, or the other. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. No, that's too... Okay, that'll be a crazy ticket. But definitely, uh, across the nation, the red wave did not necessarily materialize. In fact, the the reason why they say it's going to be a red wave, because usually the party opposite of the president in the midterms uh, gains a lot of seats, or the party of the president loses a lot of seats, and that did not necessarily happen. So they may actually, you know... Republicans may take the House or take the House, but the Senate is still trying to be decided. Um, And of course, there's going to be a runoff in Georgia and other places. But I mean, for the average American, it just seems like whether the Republicans are in charge or the Democrats are in charge, 
what is really changing? And um, I mean, we did see, of course, that when Trump was in charge, he installed these Supreme Court justices that are now going to be there for such a long time, and they're going to have a huge impact on the society and the laws and what's happening in this country. Um, and then you just have to kind of roll back, like, had Hillary Clinton won, I mean, well, President Obama's historic one was huge for the country. I mean, I myself supported Obama and I campaigned for him uh, both times. Um, but I don't know if like Trump was a reaction to I mean, do you ever think about that? Had you not had Obama, would you have had Trump? Because it's almost Maybe. like when Obama won, there was all this nasty racism that came out, that this uh, vitriol that, and not to say that we shouldn't have had President Obama, um, because but it was isn't a hard win. Ahmed, what uh, MAGA is, make America great again. It's not, if it was make America great, um, I would 100% support that. But again, like what, what went wrong? Well, yeah, I mean, no. Well, because they're trying, again, meaning, you know, you you had president, you know, the because it was a racist message, they want to roll it back to pre-Obama. They want to roll it back 50, 60, you know, whenever uh, where these people of color were not in charge, at least that's kind of, you know, it meant different things to different people. But would people, was Trump this extreme reaction where Trump won and this base that went with him, was that a reaction in part to Obama being elected? Um, you never know. And then uh, the situation you're in now. And of course, you know, I always thought, uh, because I supported Bernie Sanders, that Bernie Sanders would have made a better candidate than Hillary Clinton against Trump, and he would have actually defeated him. But I mean, it's it's all said and done now. You were there, I think, uh, during the Democratic convention. Party. Yeah, yes, and then convention. I even think Bernie Sanders would have been a candidate, a better candidate yeah. than Biden. Um, yeah, but Biden did win, but mm. but the Democratic Party itself went against Bernie Sanders and and they don't pay attention to the young people, but many young people were elected. There is a guy who is 25 years old. Is he from Florida? Yeah, yeah, he's and, from Orlando. He uh, took over the seat that Val Demings, um, you know, vacated. And of oh. course, a lot of this has to do with gerrymandering and things because people will blame it. Oh, well, this is the redistricting and the gerrymandering. Well, that may be for individual districts, but for DeSantis to win that big, for Marco Rubio to win that big. Um, why didn't the Democrats come out and support these people? Because they saw them that, you know, that they're speaking the language, you know, a centrist language. And I think that's what I'm hearing from a lot of, um, you know, uh, passionate Democrats that they didn't see necessarily people on the ticket that excited them. I mean, you have Val Demings, who's a former police officer, just talking about law and order. And she was she went against her party about defunding the police and, and things like that. And I think uh, it's just that the Republicans were more mobilized, more excited. Um, I, I'm not sure how much uh, the the because it seems like especially within our the, the Muslim and Arab and immigrant communities, because a lot of people that are people of color in Florida and for the first time, Miami Dade, which is historically um, Democrat, you know, voted for DeSantis. That is a huge red flag. That well, no pun intended. Do you know? Do you know? Uh, 
American Arabs or Muslims who vote, like, you know, they voted for DeSantis and they yeah. voted. Yeah, in fact, I actually do. Um, and I mean, you have to understand that a lot of these uh, people of color, um, Arabs and Muslims are many of them that are immigrants and they come from conservative societies socially. And what I'm hearing from time to time, from, you know, over and over from a lot of these people is that they feel like the Democratic Party is just becoming uh, less about the economy, less about, I guess, kitchen table issues, jobs, economy, healthcare, education, and more about social issues like mm-hmm. abortion, and gay marriage, and LGBTQ, and being taught in the schools, and these, uh, I guess, cultural wars that are happening. It's less about that. The things that actually impact everyday life um, and the economy and inflation and things, uh, but more about like these cultural wars, like they stand, that the Democrats stand for these very liberal uh, ideals when it comes to uh, family and family structure and gender. And that's what they keep campaigning about, or at least that's the message or perception that these immigrant groups keep hearing about. And I think uh, Ron DeSantis ran on this issue specifically this time, this time, and you see it more and more with the Republicans about what's being taught in schools, that parents should have rights, like this whole thing of parental rights. And that resonates a lot with immigrants because they come from a society where the parents are in control and children mm-hmm. can't just make up their mind about whatever. So when it comes to, for example, issues about abortion, uh, in those societies and in those communities, um, parents don't want their kids to just go and do whatever they want without par- the parents' knowledge or permission, whether it's abortion or to change your gender or to talk about issues of gender or sexuality in schools. Those societies or communities want to feel or they come from a background where the parents are in charge. And I think the message that DeSantis and, and, and the Republicans were pushing was that um, we are here to protect parental rights and the other party that wants to abolish parental rights and let the kids do whatever they want. And the teachers get to decide what is good for the students and what's not. And I think that's where a lot of these immigrant communities, even though they don't like DeSantis, you know what I mean? They they don't like DeSantis. They don't because DeSantis is anti-immigration. He's anti, you know, they see him more aligned you know, with Im- the right. Immigrants, uh, immigrants, once they land in the U.S., they start picking on the immigrants who will land on uh, in the U.S. I've seen that. I've heard that when uh, immigrants themselves are cr- criticizing that there are immigrants, new immigrants are coming. But I want to make a comment, Ahmed, because, you know, I tweet in Arabic. And it's like um, people who will be reading these tweets live in the Arab world. So, for instance, when I mentioned uh, like uh, DeSantis won uh, or I mentioned uh, a Democrat won in a certain race, there are comments that at least uh, they are not going to uh, spread uh, homosexuality. Uh, they are at least uh, not going uh, to teach children uh, uh, to be to change their uh, sexual orientation. So e- these issues that are extremely American, um, 
reflect also what is outside the U.S. So I found it very interesting that whenever, I mean, I'm not mentioning anything about their policies, about their ideas. I'm just saying, for instance, that DeSantis won and Trump uh, made fun of him. And I think these two guys will be competing over the presidency. So I I didn't see anything about anything except that. And then jumps this. So it kind of reminds me of what you said and reinforces it that, um, you know, Arab and Muslim societies are paying attention to these social issues only, but not the larger issues, because maybe they have given up on U.S. foreign policy to be different, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican. But it's interesting. I think I think some are they they care about those other issues as well. But the perception when you hear when you see the media, because most people are not paying close attention to the, the 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 policies and the details, but the thing that gets so much attention in the media and on social media and in Twitter and stuff are these LGBT these cultural wars, the abortion and the LGBT, and what type of societies do we want to live in, and who's for who, and um, where. It doesn't impact a huge segment of society, but the perception continues to be that there's one party that's, you know, championing and um, uh, the cause of uh, the gender and LGBT issues and abortion. And then the other party is using that against, you know, to say, well, we're against that and we're for parental control and we want to keep this out of the schools and you can't say this. So the question when they're People are surprised why are more Hispanics and Im- communities of immigrants are voting for Republic for these right wing Republicans that they themselves don't agree with their policies when it comes to immigration, because they feel like as a priority, the issue of parental rights and c- control, like even on on the iPhone, they have something called parental control for a reason. So even the parents want control over what their kids are learning. And what their kids are being exposed to and what their kids are allowed and not allowed to do, even like just going to whose house they're going to spend the night over. It's just for these communities, they're very I mean, I'm sure, you know, uh, of Arab families where, you know, how strict they are about spending the night at somebody else's house. That's how much control that they want to have over their kids. And then you come to a situation where they're saying, no, the kids can do what they want. And the teachers, you know, parents don't necessarily need to have control over that or parental rights. And I think that's what resonated with some of these folks. And I think we're kind of running out of time. So I want to just say the um, the legal ideas, WNF Tampa, and you have about 30 seconds to end the show somewhere. Okay, Ahmed, inshallah, we meet next week. And uh, as same Ahmed time, said, w- yeah, WMNF Tampa, NPR News should start any minute now. Have a great weekend. هما كلهم واحلى كلهم واحلى دق 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 كلها تشوف الدنيا كحلى سحرة قحلى سحرة قحلى دق 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 بس تشوف الدنيا احلى والحومه